This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Okay, episode 75, I know, because I had to put the episode title up in our live recording. Which, welcome mm-hmm. to everybody who's watching, all three of us, which is probably two of them are you and me, and then the third person is somebody else. Now just two viewers, so probably just you and I. All right, here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 75, and this is our very first live stream Laravel News Podcast. So thanks to any of you who are joining us. There's three viewers right now, which two of them are probably you and I, and uh, the third is just some poor soul who stumbled upon our link on Twitter. So thank you for joining us. Um, okay, we've got a couple things to talk about today. We've got two Laravel releases. We've got a couple packages. We've got some, um, uh, what are the words? What's the word I'm looking for? Tutorials. And then we also have what Marcel and Frank released today, which is a pretty incredible little package that you can use in your PHP Laravel applications. I write both PHP and Laravel applications. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I write both. Uh, I am, um, by the way, I'm hiring right now. And you know what I've found is like, so I said, hey, only North American time zones or whatever. But I've had a lot of people apply from Nigeria. Oh yeah, people that don't read. There is a lot of Laravel talent in Nigeria. So much. There's so much stuff happening in in uh, Africa. And that's, we will link it in the show notes, but uh, Matt Stauffer on the, over on the Laravel podcast interviewed Neo Ikodaro yep. a while ago. He works ago, for hotels.ng. They, I went and looked at their yeah. site today. Yeah, they went into a lot of details. So him and I think Prosper Otamaru, mm-hmm. I Prosper, think his name yep. is. He's yep, yep. yeah, he's really active over there. Yeah, man, uh, they got I a, always got wake a up bunch to of a, talented a developers over there. So I'm almost like I was talking to my uh, COO, and I was like, "Dude, I don't know. Might want to give this Nigerian mm-hmm. thing a try. <laughs> See if we can get some good talent out of there. Because there's like yeah. there's a lot of them, man. A lot of people applying from there. Some really talented developers. So." Mm-hmm. Anyway, we will see. I don't know how I got there, but it's somehow relevant. So, yep, yep, yep. okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we start with um, the packages, shall we? So the first one we've got on the list here is PHP Semantic Versioning Helper. So Mr. Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human, wrote this up, and I'm thinking he probably had a really good use for, use case for this. I have actually had something similar uh, that I've needed, but I will give you my use case for it after we describe what this is. So Semver is a semantic versioning helper library for PHP. It's written by Chris Kankiewicz. 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 Kankiewicz, thank you. Uh, So it's got support for parsing, incrementing, and comparison for semantic versioning strings, right? So uh, semantic versioning, in case you are not aware, is kind of what is used to implement or increment your version when you have fixes or uh, breaking changes or things like that. And it's kind of an established standard that we use to make sure that when you are uh, upgrading a package, say, uh, that you aren't sending down the line something that's going to break everybody else's stuff that's using your package, right? So it kind of Mm -hmm. goes, uh, if you said like V1.2.3, that stands for major, minor, and patch, right? And then after that, you can have like a... um, pre-release and then you can have a build so there's like these five different pieces to that semantic versioning string and so if you ever need to compare two semantic versioning strings or increment a semantic version string uh, or decrement or anything like that or compare to uh, it can kind of be a pain to kind of split those out parse them and then try and do all that so this gentleman chris here has written this library which helps you do all of those things and then uh at the end, Paul tells us as well that Composer actually has a library that does this as well. But the thing that it's missing in that case is the increment methods. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, basically all you have to do for this package is you just pass in the string that you're wanting to parse into the Semver uh, version class and it will uh, it's just in a, into its constructor. And then it gives you all these different methods that you can use to access the different pieces of that string as well as increment or decrement or do comparison. So it looks pretty interesting. So my use case yeah. for this was what I was wanting to do is I was wanting to look at people's composer.json files and see if there had been any um, like updates since the last time that I had 
ran a check on that composer.json file. And this was basically to monitor for vulnerable packages and things like that, right? So I could pull down a list of any vulnerable packages and then I could check their versions in their composer.json against those vulnerable packages and see if they fall within any of the vulnerable you know, package uh, versions. Um, so that was my use case. And it is, I was trying to kind of do it by myself for a while and it was a really big pain. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I ended up finding the composer uh, library and used that instead. But this is a pretty cool one too. Can you think of any other use cases for this, Michael? I can think of one. I mean, I suppose if you're wanting to do version checks within your code for downstream things, maybe, but nothing. I mean, obviously there's a reason for it, but nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I was thinking like if you wanted to do something like if you wanted to do some sort of hook where I know a lot of times like I've done things where uh, I'll have like a version number in my application, right? And kind of as part of the deploy process or whatever, you need to make sure that you update that manually. I suppose you could use this to do something where you would look at the current version, then you'd do like an increment major minor patch or something like that. So you could kind of automate that process. That might be a little, little bit of a stretch. But in any case, if semantic versioning and comparison is something you ever need to do, this is a great library to help you with that. So there you go, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. I'd be interested to hear what Paul's, uh, Paul's reasoning is on that, but... Um, in any case, better be a good one. It better be a dang good one, Paul. If you wrote an article on it, I want to hear what it is. Yeah, otherwise you get demoted just to Jake's favorite human being. <laughs> Instead of everyone's favorite human being. He's a great guy, that Paul. He is. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, speaking of Paul, we've got this post that he wrote, Happy Thanksgiving 2018, where Paul talks about all the things that he's thankful for in the Laravel community and outside the Laravel community. Michael, did you get a chance to read this one? I did, and it was... Um, obviously, the first person that we, I mean, I, I think it's obvious, the first person that we would be thankful for in our community is Papa T, Taylor Otwell. Papa obviously, T? If, Papa obvi- T? Oh my gosh, if not, I must have missed this. Is this a thing now? Because if it's not, we are making it a thing. <laughs> I mean, Papa, if, you, were, Papa if you came to Laracon Australia, you would be right in the know on Papa T. Gosh. Unfortunately, you didn't come and... You I know, missed it. I mean, you're on on the outside. So Papa T. Obviously, Taylor, as I said, I, I think it's obvious that Taylor is the one that the majority of us would be thankful for at this time of giving thanks for, obviously, the Laravel framework, but not only that, all of the ecosystem around it in terms of Passport and Cashier and Dusk and Horizon and Forge and, and Envoy and Nova and yeah. Telescope and... Echo. Everything. Echo as Echo. well. Echo's a huge one, yeah. All of these things that that you know he saw a need for that people were looking for that you know from his position he can see what what people are looking to use in their applications to build these modern web applications that we're building now and to make it simple so and it's not just that he's made a good life for him and his family but i hear all the time from from himself and from uh, his wife abigail you know how much of a thrill it is for them to see all the people around the world using the thing that he created, you know, to, to make their lives easier and to put food on their tables and support their families. So that is, you know, something that many of us would be thankful for. So yeah, first first and foremost to Taylor, but also uh, view database migrations get a special mention along with Eloquent itself, Validation, Blade, you know, and, and Laracon, he shouted out, this being his first one that he attended in person, getting to meet people that you know, and have spoken to online for months and even years and, uh, you know, actually getting to spend time with them in the real world and, and, and you know, hanging out and bouncing ideas off of them. And, you know, and, and you know, you and I know this and, and TJ and David and, you know, all those guys that, that we see once a year that, you know, it's like catching up with an old friend. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for so, sure. It's like a family reunion every year, honestly. Yeah, it's like absolutely. people you've been seeing so, for the last couple of years. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, those. I mean, those are the, the the high notes. The other thing, obviously, that you and I are thankful for is Laravel News itself, and and to Eric for giving us this opportunity to present this podcast every two weeks and and share the news with with our listeners and you know a good chunk of the community around the world as well. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll obviously link that up in the show notes for people to to have a look at and read through. Uh, you know, we hit the high points, but. Paul goes into detail on why all of those things are things that he's giving thanks for. 
Yeah, no, I think it's like really relevant. You know, I think a lot of times I'm guilty of this too, that I just kind of take this stuff all for granted. Like, oh yeah, like Laravel and like all the things. I mean, there's so much stuff that the framework just does for me. And, you know, Paul's just taking time to like pause and like reflect and be like, okay, what are the things that I can be thankful for? And it really is quite incredible. Like, you know, I've been making a living as a Laravel developer for the past like three or four years now. And yeah. um, like to think that like my livelihood and like my career actually would be quite a bit different without Laravel. And then to even just like, as he goes on the list of like migrations, like, yeah, absolutely. Like I would not want to live with like, you know, do the sort of development we're doing without those like, eloquent validation. No. Like, oh my gosh, these are all things that were so freaking hard before Laravel came along and just made them incredibly simple. Validation, I think about for sure. Validation, I remember I was looking through some legacy code the other day and it's just like, there's so many if checks. Like mm-hmm. if this was blank when it came through in the request like do this and then if this one was blank make sure you do this and just laravel just makes it so simple and clean and it's like i'd never even have to think about it anymore and i remember when that first yeah, came absolutely. out i'm trying to remember if it was like five one or like what that was but i remember when validation first came out and it was like so incredible it was just amazing yeah. because before that it was always hand rolled stuff and like packages yeah and- it got rewritten i think at some point in the early five days or maybe it was from 5.0 because 4.2 was a little bit hairy and and it was a lot more manual whereas now that we got the form request you can sort of tuck all that stuff away yep. and, yep. If and you've, i think that was if all- you've seen david's david hempill's presentation from laracon au he goes into some detail i'm pretty sure if my memory serves correctly about using the requests for you know other things as well so yeah definitely check that out yep 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 so anyway yes thanks paul for writing that and reminding us all that uh it's good to take time just to pause and be thankful Okay, so uh, we had the Semver helper. So let's then look at a global application settings. So this is sort of like a tutorial slash package. So um, this one is written by Tim McDonald. And he kind of talks about this idea or this problem that he's had where uh, you have an application and you want to store some global settings. Some people might store these global settings in like a ENV, I guess, but that seems kind of nasty, right? I don't think that's a Mm -hmm. great spot for that stuff. And so uh, these things that are related to the system as a whole rather than like a user or specific model or something like this. So like sometimes what people will do is they'll have like a database table that they'll just store out there that has like maybe a column that is like uh, setting and then a column that is like value or something like that. And then you can do lookups against that. But it always just feels sort of weird because you're saving non-relational data in a relational system, right? So he talks about Spassi's value store package here and how this really just essentially saves out there a JSON file on your local file system. And it makes it really easy to retrieve those values, to modify those values, and to save that just to some just to this JSON location. So pretty much that's the entire uh, tutorial here but he does a great job of summarizing how you can use it uh, and how you can use uh, this package specifically for saving global application settings Uh, it was a really good read and this is something that i've done a lot of times in like in previous systems uh, that i've built where I would end up just storing like a config.php file that was an array that I would just kind of chuck in. Yep. And that that works. That's okay. But this really this so one of the things is like in config values like in Laravel, right? You can read from config values, but you can't update config values from within your code, right? They're just they're basically read only, right? You can override them on the fly. Mm, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. As in you can call the config helper and pass it a key value array. And that will set values, but that's only for that request, right? Right, right, right. So exactly. Sure. What What I was thinking as you were explaining this application settings tutorial is that this seems like something that you would use if you wanted to be able to change those settings within your application. So if you wanted to build Mm -hmm. up some kind of UI and do it. So typically with settings, I will just put them like yourself into a configuration file, and they they're just things like the company phone number or the company name, things that I don't want to store in an ENV file, but things that are, you know, part of the application. So I would do that. In this instance, if you wanted some kind of, you know, UI to do it, I would still read, and I don't know if you can do this. I don't know if it's it's available, like the storage path or anything like that is available in the config, and I suspect it isn't. But you could conceivably, in your config dot php file read out 
the JSON decode of the JSON file so that you could have the UI write to the JSON file and then have an actual config.php, which just reads that out. And then whenever you make changes, you could do a config cache or whatever in your production environment. I don't know if that complicates things or not, but that keeps things nice in terms of like Laravel that, because then you can call it from the config helper rather than having to have like a whole other helper that looks for settings in a, in a JSON file, it means that you can leverage the existing framework configuration caches and things like that. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah. I wonder if that's a possible extension to what Tim's come up with here. No, oh, yeah, that sounds very reasonable, right? Because I like that idea that you're talking about with the config caching. That's a great idea. Because mm. um, then, and as I said, you're leveraging all the things that are already existing in the framework. Yeah, and this still has this still has legs, right? Like you could, like you said, like it essentially allows you to be able to change these values without having to set up a another table or something like that, right? You can still sort of yeah. store it in like a JSON payload. And really, I suppose you could think of this almost as like a SQLite database, right? Like mm. if it's just it's just a key value store, though, is really what it is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Maybe you should uh, make an appended I mean, as I said, I don't know if you've got access to the framework there, so you may have to rely on vanilla PHP methods. So you'd have to do a file get contents and you'd have to figure out the path yourself, I think. So that may be a, a showstopper. Right, I'm not depending. sure if you have access to the container from within the config. Yeah, yeah. and I don't think you do because I think the config happens before the framework's bootstrapped. So could be, although maybe that's not true because in the database config you've got you know this it references base path and storage path and things like that so maybe it would work mm -hmm. and yep. then yeah as i said all you would need to do whenever those settings change in your ui is just trigger a config cache artisan call or whatever and yeah. and you know clear out and and restart your cache the only time you may have a problem is if you're using fpm and opcache and you've got a i don't know if you have to reload or not you probably do and that may be a problem yeah Speaking of opcache, uh, we actually have a tutorial on that as well. Speeding up PHP with opcache in Docker. That's at the top of the list. Have you seen this one? I didn't. And that's normally because I see Docker and I don't want to overwhelm myself <laughs> with new information. There's too much right. going on at the moment. But uh, did you did you get a chance to read this? I, I think I, I get the crux of what's happening, but I suppose it's specific to using it within Docker, right? Exactly, yeah. And of course, Paul wrote this because Paul is a Docker genius and of course has Docker for PHP developers, his book out there. And so he basically goes through setting up opcache in Docker. So, Michael, I'm... You know, I'm probably about 50% qualified to talk about opcache and, and what exactly it's doing. So why don't you tell us real quickly, give us a quick run over of opcache and uh, what it's doing and then what uh, how it's going to benefit you as a developer. Sure. Sure. So Opcache is part of PHP and it's built in and included as of, I think, I think it was available as an option in 7.0 and it's it's by default in 7.1, but you need to configure it in order to work for your specific application. What it essentially does, it takes all of the code that you, you know, all of the framework code, all of that, it compiles it down to bytecode. So the underlying, you know, computer language that, that the PHP ultimately compiles down to and stores it in memory such that you uh, it basically it basically removes all of the bootstrap process it speeds up page loads and things like that because it's keeping all of the you know your framework stuff and all of your application code in memory so rather than having to hit desk uh, hit hit the disk to load and then compile that each time it goes well this hasn't changed so and and basically what you can do is to say you know don't revalidate this which means that you've got to reload fpm so it will stay cached until the next time you do a deploy or the next time you manually trigger the reload of FPM. So, and then you tell it, you know, how many files are in my application? Okay, well, we need to keep enough cache for all of these files. How much memory should we use caching this and things like that? So Paul goes into detail of, of what those settings are and then how you could configure them on the fly with Docker. How you would, for example, disable that for your development environment, but using the same uh, the same docker image in production with a different set of environment variables and then you would obviously have it enabled and all of your settings specific for production so i hope i explained that well no you did a great job of explaining that that was excellent i felt uh felt like you nailed that one nicely done mr dorinda nicely done do you guys use opcache much yes 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 we do and it means on on our on our legacy environment, every time we reload up uh, reload FPM, there's like a ten to fifteen second delay while it 
like rebuilds that cache, yeah. mm-hmm. which is which is annoying because then you get the is this application not working messages on Slack? Like, no, just relax, give it a second. If it was down, you'd be getting errors. You wouldn't be getting delayed responses. So you guys don't have like a zero downtime deployment step? Not on the current environment. The new environment that we're sort of stress testing and preparing to move to at the moment does. So okay. we're doing that all capsule, handle that all zero stuff downtime. Too? Yes. Cool. Yes, yes, yes. So we've done some work around this. There's some tweaks that typically aren't done with setting the document root in Nginx. So you may get some requests that fail because they've like requested one version of the file where your deploys happened and the request can't finish processing that file because the file was moved because it's linking to a different release. Yeah. But you can you can configure Nginx to handle that symlink stuff properly, assuming you don't delete the old release immediately. So, which typically you wouldn't do in a zero downtime because you want to leave the right, previous like the last two six, releases yeah, in yeah. case you want to roll I mean, back. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just up to your what you decide. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, let's see. Let's move on here. So let's go to the Laravel releases. So we've got 5.7.14 and 5.7.15 that were both released. So before Thanksgiving, 5.7.14 was released. High level here, it was released with the ability to make asset root URLs configurable with the app.assetURL config option. So if you wanted to be able to use the asset path helper, previously it would kind of reference a static location and now you can set that up in your config. Uh, you also mm-hmm. have the cookie jar class, which is now macroable. So um, just like many other things in the framework, uh, the collection class, the response, Response class, I think. I mean, literally, probably 90% of the classes that ship with Laravel are macroable, which means you can kind of mm-hmm. push your own behavior onto those. Uh, so yeah. the cookie jar is now macroable. You also have the ability to disable the password refunction, reset functionality uh, by passing the reset key in your routes web.php file. Michael, maybe you can talk a little bit about this as well. You kind of gave a hot tip on this on uh, hmm. on Twitter the other day. Talk to us about that just a touch here before we move on. Yeah, so when you spin up a new Laravel application, if you want to use the authentication scaffolding, you'd run PHP Artisan make auth. But, but essentially what happens as part of this process is Laravel will inject a route or a, a facade route into your routes slash web.php file. So you'd get an auth colon colon routes. And what this would do is it would register your login routes, it would register your logout routes, it would register your registration routes and your verification and reset routes. A lot of the times what I find myself doing in in my work, because when we spin up a new web application, we're using Active Directory or LDAP for authentication. So we don't need the registration. We're not registering new users. And for things that aren't using LDAP, we've got a little uh, a command line, like an artisan package that we've got to allow us to spin up users that way. So what I always find myself doing is digging through the route class and always end up in the wrong one. And then I've got to go and find the router class and go and find these auth methods. And I copy and paste them all. And then I go and put them into my routes file. And then I remove the register ones. So I went poking around in there to get this list of routes to copy and paste into my routes file for an application recently and found that there's actually some switches in there now. So into the auth colon colon routes method, you can pass an array of uh, reset, of uh, register, and I think verify are the three keys. And you pass a Sounds right, yeah. Boolean, yeah, Boolean true or false in there. So mm-hmm. if I wanted to disable the register routes, all I could do, I could basically do auth colon colon routes, pass an array, register arrow false, yeah. and that'll register all the other routes and, and just ignore the register routes. But you can also ignore the reset. And you can also ignore the verify if you're not using the email verification in your application. So, so you don't have those routes and endpoints just sitting out there pointing yeah, to Yeah, that's nothing. right. And it means that I don't have to go and copy and paste these things every time. Yeah, so yeah. this is a, a nice little you know, quality of life thing. And it just means that like once that stuff's been uh, brought into my application, I can just go and delete the controllers because you know we're not using them. So there's no point keeping them in version control or anything like that. So yep, yep. yeah, this is, as I said, a little little quality of life thing. But uh, I think someone actually picked that up now and, and put it into the Laravel docs. I saw a merge request come through the other day. So good job to whoever that was because I just kept meaning to do it and time got away from me and work got away from me and it just didn't happen. And nausea got to you. And nausea got to me, yeah. Right, yeah. 
Okay, so there's also the ability to publish Laravel error views, just like you would from any other service provider now, and those will go into your resources, views, errors. So these are any custom errors that you wanted to be able to, um, like custom error pages that you wanted to be able to create for like 404s, 503s, 500s, or no, sorry, not 404, 403, 500, etc. Okay, looping back to that asset root URL, kind of um, interesting here. So Taylor had a tweet out about this and what he's kind of reference here, he referencing here, which is interesting, is that you can set the asset URL to something like a CDN, right? So instead of it just referencing a relative path inside your application, it could also reference a CDN in the case that you're pushing up all of your assets to a CDN. So that's kind of interesting, right? So you can use the asset mm-hmm. helper to uh, generate a route to a location that, that lives out on your CDN. So that's a, that's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks like there's also on anything that is a notification instance, all right, so if you're generating a new, noca- new new notification, it extends notification. There is now uh, two new properties on there, public properties, tries and timeout, which do exactly what they what they say they do. So if you're queuing this notification, you can give it a number of tries, just like you would do with, like if you say on your daemon, your, your uh, queue worker daemon, you can specify the number of tries you want something to have, but you can actually kind of override that with your notifications here. So mm-hmm. you can say max number of tries is, and then you can specify, you could even say just one if you wanted to, like if there was an, if there was something that if it tried to send once and you're doing some sort of mutation inside that, which would not be great, but you could actually set the tries equal to one. And then of course, all of your other stuff would run, run the normal number of uh, tries before failing. And then you also have a timeout. So those are two quick little additions to the notification class that allow you mm-hmm. to limit those. Uh, and I think that is about it for that one. It looks like there's a few others. Of course, we've got some fixes and some changes, uh, improving eager, eager loading performance, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, there's a couple more out there, but, but the, I think that covers the, the high points there. So yeah, there we go. Let's take a look at 5.7.15. You want to cover that one for us? Yeah, 5.7.15. So we've got some new validation rules as well as some eloquent relationship getters. So we've got a starts with validation rule, which allows you to check that an input starts with a string. You can also pass in multiple strings to this rule to make sure that at least one of them matches. There's also a date equals validation rule is now translatable. So if you are using that, you can update your validation.php file. There's also, as I said, some new relationship getters that are available in this release, which includes on the belongs to many class, a get parent key name and a get related key name. On the has many through, we've got a get first key name, get foreign key name and get second local key name. On the has one or many, a get local key name and a more to many get inverse. I'm sure there's good reasons for people to use those. If you have one of those reasons, we'd love to hear from you. Because it's very hard on the spot to figure out. That's not to say that there isn't a good reason. It's just that sometimes you look at it and you go, this is the thing that's happened and I'm sure there's a reason for it. <laughs> yeah, somebody PR'd this and they determined it uh, useful enough to pull it into the framework. Yeah, I mean, if it's in the framework, it means that Taylor has decided that yes, it should be here and yes, I'm happy to maintain that in the future and yes, I can see the value in it. Yeah. Yeah, so like I'm assuming what you would do is you would query the relationship on something. So if you had like if you had users and you had a tickets table and then you had like user tickets, which would be like maybe like purchases or something would be your kind of pivot table or something. Or your association table, if your name is Paul Jones. <laughs> my my God, just gave me a look like, uh, uh, who did you just say? I'm calling you out, Paul. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, please don't fight me. I'm guessing maybe what you would do is you could say uh, user tickets, get parent key name or something like that, right? You'd have to call it as a method though so that you'd get the belongs to many relationship back. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's there's reasons. Someone will tell us or they hashtag, won't. And, hashtag uh, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could go look at the PR and see the, uh, you know, the reasons that people are noting here. Let's see. Mm. Oh, it looks like, uh, you know what? This is actually, this makes sense. It would be used for packages a lot. Sure. Okay. Right. Fair that enough. would make sense. So like if you're working with relationships and you need to be able to get some of these key names and things like that for your package, I, I can totally see that being useful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it needs to be quite dynamic, right? So you're going to need to be able to grab those pieces and there was no good way to get to them before. Yeah. So there we go. There we go. All right. So that's 5.7.15. Thank you very much for writing those change logs up. Is Till still doing that? Till Cruz? Hmm. I know Till was doing it. 
I think someone else has started doing it or is publishing it on the medium, like the Laravel medium, but I'm not sure. Oh, here we go. It's Tetiana is doing these. Ah, now, that's the right. That's notes. right. I forgot about that. Hey, um, speaking of Till, Till Cruz, if you are uh, listening to this, everyone, and you want to support Till, you can go to encoder.till.im. This is a uh, cool little package that Till made for WordPress that allows you to protect your emails from being scraped off your website. So if you ever had like a mail to link on your website and um, like you've got like a contact page maybe, right? And about us sort of like contact page and you've got all the people listed on your team and like their email addresses. Uh, it's really easy for like a scraper to come along and just like scrape all those emails off the page and then put them into some spam list or something, right? So email address encoder, it's an ultra fast, lightweight WordPress plugin that protects your email addresses from email harvesting robots. So he's got, I think, a free version and then he's got a purchase version, but Till is a big part of the community. I was talking to him today and he was like, hey, dude, I'd love it if you could talk about this. He wasn't even talking about Laravel podcast. He was just <laughs> whatever. So anyway, I'm talking about it, Till, because we love you. So everybody go check that out. Encoder.till, that's T-I-L-L dot. I am free sponsorship for Till. There you go, everyone. Building on things like Larimetrics, which is free, and then Sentry and Bugsnag and Rollbar and Airbrake, lots and lots of different error trackers already on the market and established. All of these tools typically focused on just exceptions. Honey Badger, however, does more than just the exceptions. It gives you full confidence in the health of your entire production environment. With integrated exception, uptime, and cron and service monitoring, your bacon will be saved when you're cloud platform is having issues when there are critical jobs and services that stop running when your scheduled tasks stop running when your ssl certificates expire when your web servers crash when dns fails and on and on and on it is the only error monitoring platform which can alert you about all of these issues and for roughly the same price as any of the other providers that just do the exception tracking they give you loads more error reports per month they give you more users in a lot of cases and their data retention is 90 days on their paid plans. So consider that if you were paying for another provider at $70 a month, you would have as much as 150,000 less error notifications and you'll have a user limit. Then you'll also pay for something like Pingdom to manage your uptime monitoring, which is an extra $80. And you're monitoring cron jobs using another service and spend another $70 a month on something like Chronotor. So it all adds up when you take all of the extra services into consideration. So if that's not enough, there are heaps and heaps of other things which you get with Honey Badger. Your next outage will be easy to diagnose and fix and your customers will be happier because of that. With everything in one place, you don't have to look about team access in different providers. You spend more time developing software and less time monitoring it and you will flat out love working with Honey Badger. They're highly personable and your success is their mission. So be sure to check out Honey Badger at honeybadger.io forward slash four forward slash Laravel and enjoy yourself a free 15 day trial. Thanks Honey Badger for sponsoring Laravel News. Okay, um, let's see what else do we have. Let's look at the 2018 Laravel survey results. This is always interesting, and I didn't even know this was going on. Did you know this was going on? I'm pretty sure I filled it out. I didn't <laughs> fill it out this year. I did not fill it out. I'm too busy um, so with these talk- side projects. I know, dude. It's true. It's true. And that thing launched, by the way, on Saturday last week, Friday night, actually. And I've had some people sign up to it, which is good. And I've got some feedback of stuff that was broken. So that's also good. You know, just little things, right? It's always something. I, I forgot it's always to link. Little things. Yeah. It's always little things. I forgot to link one URL on a page and somebody clicked on it, of course, and like lost their form that they were like 90% of the way through with. <laughs> it's like a 10-step form. <laughs> Your really test should have caught that, Jake. Oh, true. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> It should have, but they didn't. So anyway, uh, yeah, that side project. I still got tons of work to do on it. I just launched the MVP version of it. So anyway, I would tell you, I'd tell everybody to go check it out, but it's literally nothing you would want to check out unless you were interested in signing up for it. So and it's, yeah, it's not a mass appeal sort of thing. It has nothing to do with developers. So it's right, you know, right, right, right. side, side, Very hashtag right. side project. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some of these results here for the 2018 Laravel survey. So they asked uh, and surveyed people for the reason that they selected Laravel over other frameworks and by a very large margin ease of use was the reason for using Laravel, which I would agree with. Uh, secondarily was documentation followed by community. You know, performance was kind of like number four and I think that makes sense because really at this stage, 7.1 and 7.2 
with like Opcash, you've got incredible performance just straight PHP, right? I mean, Laravel does a great job of performance, but all I'm saying is like at the end of the day, the developer experience is more important because like hardware is a lot cheaper than developers, right? The developer time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think uh, ease of use and documentation uh, definitely make the top here. Um, mm-hmm. You want to take the next one there? Mm. Yeah. So what size Laravel projects do you work on? What size projects do you work on, Jake? You know, typically I would say my projects, it says enterprise here. And if by enterprise you mean, hey, it's it's being created for an enterprise, then that would be me. But I don't, you know, I think the number of users that I have don't qualify it to be enterprise. I have worked on enterprise applications, but I think I would definitely fall in line with the answer here that most people gave, which would be medium-sized projects. Yeah. So most of the projects I work on are, are medium-sized, you know, thousands to tens of thousands maybe i'd say hundreds to tens of thousands of users but nothing really larger than that yeah yeah we're definitely i mean our internal applications are you know tens of users our external applications and some of our internal tooling is you know thousands of of users uh, even though transparently like there's not necessarily application front application for people to access but the code that we're writing is servicing thousands of, of customers. So, yep. yeah, I think medium, and it's it's clear from the results this year that medium is far and away the the most common one. There's still a good number of enterprise in there. We don't really know what enterprise is. Yeah, um, right. What's you know, the definition? And, and, every, yeah. And, everyone, yeah, and everyone's got a different definition. Is it by scale? Is it by size of business? Is it size of customers? Is it the support that you get? You know, who knows? Everyone's got their own definition and... It just asks small, medium, enterprise, and people put whatever they think there, and everyone's got their own interpretation. So, yeah, I think that at the end of the day, like, you know, the important thing is like it's real businesses making real money that are using Laravel to do their development, right? And so I think there's a lot more medium sized businesses than there are enterprise businesses anyway. So it would make sense that a lot of people would be working on medium sized businesses, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Okay. In the next 12 months, I'll be using Laravel in more projects. Yes, that was the overwhelming answer. More projects, about the same number or significantly more. So it seems like it's still on the uptick. People are still happy with it and going to be uh, planning to use it for future development. All right, what else? Well, I mean, fewer and significantly fewer are certainly not there. You know, there's a few people that have decided, "Mm, not for me, but 40% of respondents have said, yeah, more, about the same, or lots more. So... And a lot of it comes down to, you know, especially if you're introducing Laravel into your environment and you have to like make the case for it, then, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll see this, what's happening for another year. Maybe we'll do more, significantly more, you know, that was a good, good chunk of each of those, but it's good to, it's good to see that of the people that responded to the survey, they're not looking to stop using Laravel, which I guess, you know, if you were going to stop using Laravel, you probably wouldn't fill out a survey about it, would you? Correct. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. So it seems like people think that Laravel is mature and robust enough for enterprise and medium-sized projects. Uh, some of the questions they ask here, because this is, of course, sponsored by Laravel Jobs, I believe they talk about if uh, if people are able to find the quantity and quality of Laravel developers that they need. It's about split down the middle here. Half of them would say yes, half of them would say mm-hmm. no. You know, it can be hard. It can be hard. The hiring process is always hard, man. It just is. And it's, it's not really fun either. Like nobody really wants to go through hiring developers, but um, yeah. Laravel Jobs does make it, a, you know, a little better process. You get it out there to, to more people. So this is one that's always interesting to me. I'd love it if there were more Laravel and then they have a bunch of items here. Tutorials, articles, regional conferences, training videos, meetups, online conferences, all the way down at the bottom. And one from the bottom is podcasts. That's you and me. We're a dying breed, my friend. So if you want to be an influencer in the Laravel community, here's what you should do. Write tutorials, write articles. Here's what I know for a fact. Mr. Eric Barnes is always looking for people to write good content on Laravel News. Insider tip. So if you want to be an influencer in this space, I hate using the word influencer. Why did I use that? If you want to be a helpful person in the community, tutorials and articles is where it's at. So get on yep. there, write some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what sector best describes your business? Looks like most people are in a consultancy sort of dis, uh, situation or custom software development, which honestly kind of seemed like they would have a lar- large overlap here to me. Uh, yeah, I would have thought so. Although we uh, this do says custom website software agency development. consultancy. Yeah, yeah we, we do custom software development, but not for other people, which is what yeah. the yeah, agency consultancy stuff would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, but at, at the same time, does business services and... It, 
is is there crossover between business services and customer software development or even retail and consumer services and cust- like it's all customer software development yeah, so that's true that's true that's a good point then the last question they have is the number of people in your the number of employees in your business so i'm wondering if this is talking about developers if this is talking about i mean i would suggest it's all employees in the business. all employees yeah sure so it looks like there's and a lot of solo, solo entrepreneurs yeah. here. Yeah. Yep. So 266 respondents said that that they are solo, right? Looks like 575 people said between 2 and 10. Mm-hmm. So again, medium-sized businesses, 11 to 50 uh, employees, 378. It would be interesting to see the correlation between the solo developers and the people who voted that Laravel is mature and robust enough for enterprise projects. Yeah, it would be cool to see that cross-section, right? To be able to write like a pivot on that, uh, to be able to Mm. get those respondents. But unfortunately, we don't have that data. So what would yours be? Mine is like 200. I have like 200 people that are in my organization. Mine's a bit fuzzy because in in my specific company, we are, uh, I'd say we're 11 to 50 in... The, the wider group, now that we've been acquired, I'd say we're more than 250 to 1,000. So okay. I'm not sure. I mean, do we? I don't know if we count the group or not count the group. Probably. Yeah, probably. Day to day, I interact with no more than 50 though. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, okay, last thing we have here is unwrapping array wrap. So have you ever used array wrap? This is an amazing piece of magic, by the way. I used it coincidentally the other day, unrelated to this blog post. Oh, you that's when you used it. You're saying, oh, I'm sorry. I thought... <laughs> I thought you were starting a that was, story. That was it. And I was like waiting. No, no, that like, was it. Like coincidentally, coincidentally. That was the story. Unrelated to this, yeah, unrelated to when this article came out, I used the array wrap method. Okay, that's the uh, one I was waiting because, for. I was waiting for that yeah. last part because I think you said, oh. coincidentally, the other day, unrelated to this blog post, and then you stopped. And I was waiting. Oh. <laughs> was like, Perhaps my audio Is he going to finish up. or is he just going to like leave yeah. me? What? What happened? What happened? What yeah. did you do? Yeah. And I don't even remember why, but I was aware of this function. Yes, I've used this before. So array wrap uh, basically takes a uh, it takes a look a at what you, whatever you pass inside of it, and it wraps it with an array if it isn't an array, right? Hmm. So instead of doing something like, "Hey, is this variable that I'm passing into you an array?" and you check like is array on that variable, mm-hmm. and then if it's not, you wrap it. That's basically what this does, right? Oh, Paul wrote this, so he basically goes through and talks about how this works. Uh, which is cool. Yeah, it's handy, and it's and it's nice if you if you don't know at the time of your script being executed if you're processing one entry or you're processing many entries, but the thing you're doing is the same, and you're you're taking like a user or an array of users, or you're taking a blog post or an array of blog posts. What you want to do to that item or collection of items is the same. You always want to go through. Um, the the posts and you want to mark them as all, all as deleted or mark them all as published at this future time. You might only do one or you might do many. And so what the array wrap does is allows you to take whatever the input is, whether it's a single item or a collection or, an, you know, collection of items or an array of items and it'll go, is it an array? Then, you know, do nothing with it. Otherwise, wrap it in an array and then allow me to process it as a for each. So instead of doing the is check, uh, the if check, you know, is it an array, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you could just pass array wrap and then whatever your input is directly into your for each or your collect and then each or whatever you want to do with it and then not even worry about it. So I'm pretty sure there's a few places in the framework. I don't know necessarily that they use array wrap, but they certainly use this kind of construct where it does the ternary check and then does some operation based on it. So... It's certainly handy if you want to, if you're in a situation where that is the case. Yeah. So just like many other of the helpers in Laravel, it basically takes a common pattern. Pattern? So you say pattern. Say pattern for me. Pattern. 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 It, takes a, <laughs> it takes a common pattern that you see in, in code and basically just cleans it up for you, right? So instead of mm-hmm. having to do the is array check and then wrapping it in array, it does that all in one clean little nice pretty thing for you. So pretty cool. Yeah, the other day I had to use it because I was um, on our job board postings. Uh, there was only one job up there. And the XML feed that we were pulling from, if it doesn't have more than one job, just returns that single job and not a collection yeah. of the jobs. So mm-hmm. it broke everything. And um, Wilbur Powery reached out to me. He's like, hey, dude, uh, just so you know, in case you didn't, your website is down. I'm like, what? 
And of so now you're hiring him? Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Wilbur, he's on he's on my list. Um, Very good. Hopefully his employers aren't listening to this, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I had to wrap it. So I had to use a ray wrap. So it's, uh, yeah, I used it just the other day. Pretty handy. So there we go. Very nice. You know what? I think that wraps everything up. I think that wraps everything up. Uh, speaking of a ray wrap. Oh, you know what? There was actually, there was actually the Nexmo one, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's two. There's two things. So there are there are two more articles that we'll go through. The first one is Nexmo has a developer spotlight program, which is basically taking guest posts written by members of the Nexmo developer community. So if you're using Nexmo and you want to write a, a blog post about using Nexmo for whatever reason that you might be using Nexmo, whether it's sending uh, notifications or uh, using their IVRs or you know automated voice services then this is uh, something that you can use so or that you can try and get involved in um, and you reach out to Nexmo with regards to that. We'll link up this post from Taylor Otwell where he talks about using the Nexmo services to trigger notifications when your Laravel Horizon jobs are running slow or they're delayed or anything like that. So it goes into a bit of detail about that uh, and and in terms of wait time thresholds and, and so on and so forth. The other thing, and I'm, and I'm blowing through this, and this, this actually warrants more time, but maybe we'll get uh, Marcel or Freik on to talk about it at another time, is this package that they've been teasing for a little while and that they released today, Laravel WebSockets, which is an easy-to-use WebSocket server implemented in PHP. So if you are using Pusher currently, and you've, you've got to sign up for the account, you've got to have, you know, if you're like me, you don't want to pay for it, but you just want to use the service, this is a drop-in replacement for that push a service where you can spin it up yourself. It'll run. You can um, watch the process with the supervisor like you would with Horizon. And it basically gives you that real-time WebSocket connectivity in your application uh, without having to sign up for any external services. Now, obviously, there will probably be a point where you need to scale, where you need to move this to another application or another server or whatever. I mean, or you you would end up using Pusher anyway once you grow to a certain size. But to get up and running, this is a nice little drop-in replacement. You can use it in combination with Laravel Echo. It's built on top of Ratchet, which is a low-level package that handles the WebSockets for you. So as I said, it might be worth getting Freik or Marcel on a future episode and they can go into it in a bit more detail. But we will certainly link up the show notes, uh, link up in the show notes the... Uh, the introduction blog post, it goes into a lot of detail about where this is useful, how this is useful, why and when you might use this. And I can tell you the documentation that they wrote is really pretty and it is really, really detailed. So definitely check that out if WebSockets is something that you are interested in using. We're actually using the Sparsity dashboard at work and this is the only thing we're using Pusher for. So it would be nice to like not have to use Pusher and use this yeah, as done. an alternative. Right, right. Yeah. So we'll, as I said, link that up in the show notes. We'll try and get Freik or Marcel on in a future episode to talk about this. Uh, But it seems like there are a lot of people in the community that were interested in this. There was a lot of talk about it on Twitter uh, overnight. Tons. And it, I was going to say, you said like maybe like when you'd scale up, you'd get to pusher, you know, whatever. I don't know, man. Honestly, I feel like you could probably get this thing pretty performant and honestly for under what you're going to pay for pusher. Pusher gets expensive when you get up to those higher, mm. no, high numbers. Mm. Uh, it gets quite expensive really quickly. I remember I had a large event last year and I paid like a grand for a week <laughs> on this thing. Yeah, it was, it was rough. So, I mean, like imagine how much you, know, you could do uh, with that with this for that. I mean, you could even maybe, I don't know if you throw a load balancer in front of a yeah. bunch. I don't know. I don't know what you would do, but uh, I think you could, there's a couple other things which are really interesting with this as well, which is like, you can specify your own payload size, max payload size. Like I know with pusher, it's like 10 K, which I know myself and David Hemphill have both run into before, which is like, you can't send more than a 10 K payload, which is very limited. That's small when you're talking. I mean, it's, it's not sufficient for a lot of stuff. So you can specify that. And then it's not sufficient when you're pushing HTML through websites. Exactly. Exactly right. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, the blog post that they put up about this is very detailed. It literally goes into the entire thing for how they're handling it all pretty much. But yeah, it looks incredible. I'm definitely planning on using it all over the place. 
And uh, this is something. And the other thing that they've done, which is so intelligent, is that they made this all basically a drop-in replacement for Pusher. So all the stuff that's already built in Laravel, like Echo and that sort of stuff, uh, this is just mm-hmm. a drop-in replacement for Pusher. You're still using everything; just works just perfectly. Yeah. So pretty incredible. These guys are so generous with yeah. their time to give to give this the, to the community. It's incredible. The, the blog post. The blog post is dense. Dense. Yes. There is a lot of good stuff in here, and. What's really cool is that it gives you a real-time statistics dashboard. Yes. It'll show you the messages that are coming in, people entering and leaving your channels um, and things like that. So I, I definitely encourage you to look into it. Oh, here we go. There's even a section here about whether or not it scales. So they've got 30,000 users. So yeah, there you go. They've, 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 look, there's a lot of detail gone into this. Freik and Marcel have done a lot of package development over the last number of years for the community. So you know that the stuff that they're putting out is super solid. And it'll be interesting to see how well this goes, you know, over the coming weeks, months, years as people use it at different scales and things like that. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Be sure to thank both of these chaps yeah. on Twitter. Uh, or in person if you have that luxury. Yeah, so like what what could we buy from them, right? So uh, Botman uh, from Marcel and Odeer from uh, Freak are, are both um, great things you could do to kind of support these guys uh, for all the hard work that they've put into making this a reality for us. So try and do that if you can. It'd be much appreciated by them, I'm yeah. sure. Very good. Okay. All right. All right, everyone. A big apology on air to Michael Dorinda for me uh, talking over him all the time. It's There's a little bit of this AU delay, I feel like. I don't know. Today was particularly bad. So mm. my apologies. If I sound like an obnoxious jerk, it's probably true. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to episode. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> See, right there. Like, I, cut, I couldn't hear you. I, I saw your mouth moving on the video, but I can't hear you. It's that microphone. Mm. it's your fancy microphone we'll figure it out we'll figure it out we'll because with these live things we don't know what we're doing that's true thanks everyone for listening to episode 75 if you like the show you can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 75 of course if you have any feedback or questions hit us up on twitter at jacob bennett at michael dorinda or at laravel news and if you like the show rate us up on your podcatcher of choice five stars is very appreciated if you do less than five stars i think we have a validation error in there that we'll throw mm-hmm yeah, we spoke. We reached out to Apple to make sure that was in there. Uh, I think it's like it's like I think it's like min colon five, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make sure you give us five. I think that's all. Any other shoutouts before we're done? I have nothing. That's Thanks it. Thanks to all of our awesome listeners and all of our awesome community for all of the ongoing work in pull requests, in documentation, in packages, in blog posts, tutorials, videos, anything and everything that you are doing out there to make this community special we thank you and thanks everybody who tuned into the live broadcast it was really fun we will see you in two weeks see you bye